Welcome to We're All Mad Here, a podcast aimed at dismantling the stigma surrounding mental health conditions, opening a discussion, and facilitating understanding one story at a time. Today I'm joined by Dr. Reed Wilson. Reed Wilson is a licensed psychologist who directs the Anxiety Disorders Treatment Centre. He is also Adjunct Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. He is an international expert in the treatment of anxiety disorders with books translated into nine languages. He designed and served as lead psychologist for American Airlines' first national program for the Fearful Flyer. And his free self-help website, www.anxieties.com, serves over 500,000 visitors and 20 million hits per year. He serves as the expert for WebMD's anxiety and panic communities. Television appearances for Reed Wilson include The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Katie Show, Good Morning America, CNN, A&E's Hoarders, and MTV's True Life. Today on our podcast, he will be going into detail about the powerful techniques that he teaches people to help them overcome their disorders, and how these techniques can also be used outside of a mental illness context. He tells us what it was like to create the first program for Fearful Flyers, and leaves us with a message of hope for anyone who's encountering difficulty with anxiety. Enjoy. Thank you, uh, Dr. Wilson, for joining us today. Sure. You've had a long and successful career in psychology. How did you first know that your passions lay in this area? So first you're calling me old, and that's okay. I don't mind. Uh, you, you know, I my second career of my long career was in chronic pain patients, and I, back in the mid to late 70s, the media started talking about women who loved their houses, women who were trapped in their homes, the agoraphobics, um, w- women with panic disorder. And uh, of course, it wasn't all women, but that was how the media pitched it. And all of a sudden, those of us in the mental health field, people just started to come through our door. Um, with panic disorder and agoraphobia and wanting help. And nobody was trained in it whatsoever. Now, I had a leg up because I was trained to work with chronic pain patients. So therefore, I knew self-hypnosis, relaxation training, biofeedback, all of those general skills. And that gave me a leg up. And But even with those skills, it wasn't enough. I couldn't really finish the work with people. And so I started looking around the literature and, you know, to, to learn more because no, none of us had coursework in this. Um, and there really wasn't anything around much more than Claire Weeks <laughs> out of Australia. And uh, that was about it. And so I was a young Turk. I was probably 30 and felt like, oh, I'll I'll write a book on this. Um, it'll take me six months. Well, three years later, I finally finished it. But really writing my, my first book, which was called Don't Panic, um, was how I really developed uh, the theory of the work. And, and I built my work from there. I was fortunate to be able to work with Dr. Edna Foa um, for a bit on a self-help book on, on OCD called Stop Obsessing. Um, and so my, you know, my skill set just increased to handle all of the anxiety disorders and OCD as my career continued. Do you have something that you're particularly proud of achieving within the scope of your career so far? Is there a moment that stands out to you? 
Oh boy. Um, no, uh, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm 66 and I'm to reflect back on my life and I feel lucky and fortunate. I did a lot of different training programs when I was younger that were not related to the anxiety disorders, but just gave me some foundation skills, transactional analysis, gestalt treatment, family systems treatment, uh, and such. And I think I somehow I had some intuitive sense of what I needed to be learning and some kind of higher self in there unconsciously was directing me. And so I think I feel blessed around all of that because I've gotten to do this great and I apologize for calling it fun work for people who, you know, I'm working with people who suffer and I, and I by no means mean it in that way, but it, it's been incredibly rewarding. I do this, um, a, a two day intensive treatment program for folks with panic disorder and social anxiety in one group and OCD and in another and to sit for two days with people and just, I mean, I well up right now telling you this, just to be able to be present to their courage and to see the leaps that they can make when they decide to be courageous. It's, it's such, and I say to them every group, it's such a, an honor to be in the room with them. So that was a long-winded answer to your question. So your areas of expertise are anxieties, phobias, obsessions, compulsions, and worry. Do you think that these conditions have a common origin in their development? Not necessarily, but I think they all have a common challenger. And, you know, I think th this intolerance of uncertainty, you know, we have a scale called the tolerance of uncertainty scale. And people with anxiety disorders and OCD and phobias kind of go off the charts around that. The need to know how things are going to turn out, the need to know answers in these particular themes. And then we have a term called anxiety sensitivity. Um, I can't tolerate these feelings that are coming. And I think that the these disorders go after people with those types of traits. Um, they go after people who tend to be more perfectionistic. Um, and then I think they're, depending on which disorder we're talking about, I think there's a very strong genetic component, very strong. I think OCD is, is I, I would put most of my money on it being a genetically based disorder. And I think, you know, panic disorder and some of the others aren't as strong, but I think the tendency is there. And the other piece is what we would call behavioral inhibition. And this is really identified by Jerome Kagan years ago at, at Harvard around infants that are born that are more sensitive to new objects introduced to them. They have a quick startle response. They don't tolerate being away from a secure person. Uh, those types of traits make them a more sensitive individual. And we have tracked those over the years into adolescence, and they do tend to end up having more predominant anxiety disorder. So I think that whole genetics and predisposition and traits of behavioral inhibition, I'm, I pull back instead of step forward. I think those are common denominators for almost all of these folks. I didn't know that about the behavioral inhibition stuff. That's really interesting. 
let me say one more thing about that. It, I think that the, the mistake that people make is when we start talking about these genetic um, aspects and contributions, then there is this leap of logic that says, well, therefore, I need a biochemical intervention. You know, I'm missing something. I, I need – you can't do cognitive behavioral therapy for this stuff because this is genetic. You need a, a pill, and, and I think that is wrong. We know that that is not true for many of these anxiety disorders. The, the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy works better than medications, or medications and cognitive behavioral therapy work together well. The least – helpful treatment is medication alone. So you speak about wanting uncertainty as a powerful way to take back control over anxiety and obsessive symptoms. Can you tell us a bit about the technique and the, the concepts behind it? Well, sure. It's a hard sell, uh, but I will. If again, if we take, if we personify the disorder, whether it's panic disorder, social anxiety, OCD, whatever, uh, the disorder is going to give us the fearful sensations and and thoughts, and we have to play a a specific role in this relationship in order for it to dominate us. And the role that we must play is when the symptoms or negative thoughts show up, our job is to push them away. And if we will engage in whatever process we can figure out to push away symptoms, then those symptoms will embed themselves more deeply inside us. So, so we, or at least I am very clear that, you know, the, the symptoms that pop up, again, you think about obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, oh my gosh, did I, did I lock the door before I left this morning? Those thoughts are what we would say unconsciously mediated. They pop up. I don't have any control of those thoughts popping up. I don't have any control of my initial fear that, that shows up for that. I have control of what I do next. And as long as I go, oh, no, there that is again, I have to get rid of it, I'm screwed. That's a clinical term. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Right. So, so we really want to look at what is the strategy that the disorder uses to maintain us in a victim position, and then let's do the opposite. So, speeding forward around this, the question around wanting it. So, I'm looking to do the opposite. Well, if what I'm doing now is I don't want this, and of course, the outcome is. I don't want my clients to have these symptoms. I, I built my career around helping them get rid of those symptoms. But the outcome that we want and the treatment are exactly opposite. So if I'm going to win here, I need to, to welcome the sensations that I hate, which is, a, as I said, a hard sell. And, and because that now I'm not feeding the disorder. And the other thing we know neurologically, we are, you know, here we have this amygdala that has been traumatized and that trauma gives them a, a, a neuropathway that just tells them you should be afraid and you should brace and you should protect. So we have to, if we're going to change that neurology, we have to go in and access the state of mind and body that is 
the drama. So I have to go have a reasonable facsimile, which is safe, of the original trauma. So, you know, we do all this work with PTSD where they, we take people who have been in the military and been traumatized and we can do virtual reality with them where they get back into that scene and we want them to have those feelings again because you have to have those feelings to modify those feelings. So we don't want to mute those. So another reason to want to have the feelings is I want to get stronger. If I don't have the feelings, I'm just going to, you know, if magically they disappear for a week and, you know, go, oh, doctor, you're amazing. I haven't had any panic in, in a week. You know, it's like, well, that's a terrible week. You know, come in and say, you know, I've had four or five panics this week. What a great week. I got to practice my skills. If you're going to get over a fear of an elevator because you want to take a job on the 20th floor of some building, you go and, and you know ride the elevator up and down for an hour and a half, and then you're feeling you know, a lot better about it. If you don't take an elevator again for six weeks, you're not going to remember what you just did. You're going to remember the trauma you had when the elevator got stuck four years ago. So, so we really want to keep exposing ourselves to the feared situation with the proper attitude. And you don't go ride the elevator gritting your teeth and saying, how many more seconds before the door opens? Oh, thank God the door's open. That gives you nothing. You have not done anything because of what you're saying to yourself in your head. And you want to be saying something, you know, as you're riding the elevator, a simple example. It's like, I... God, I'm scared right now. Oh my God, my heart's racing. I got this. I can handle this. Oh my God, but what if the elevator gets stuck? That's not helpful. Not you can hear the change in my tone of voice. You know, my feared feared voice is going to come up, of course, because I am exposing myself to a, a dreaded situation. And then I've got to have an executive voice. You know, I'm going to I'm taking the the part of me that has been victimized by the disorder. It's going to come along with me to whatever I do, whatever exposure it is. It's coming along, but it's not coming along alone. I also have to have that voice that comes in and goes, "I got this." This is good practice. This is an opportunity for me to practice my skills. Like I, I can make this. Let's do it again. And another concept that you emphasize is that content of our thoughts is unimportant when confronting OCD or confronting anxiety or worry. Can you elaborate a bit on this? Sure. If you are somebody with claustrophobia, which is going to be the fear of restriction of movement and suffocation, and, and you get on a plane and you're afraid as you sit on the tarmac on the plane that the air is going to run out on the plane and you're going to die, that's content. That is, you know, that's an irrational thought of of, of that I'm going to suffocate or if you drive into the parking garage and you know it's open sides but you think oh my gosh the the concrete's going to collapse on top of me possibly and kill me that is the content that's irrelevant because that's not real but it's not going to have so much going to happen so but if i focus on that and try to do practice i am not going to get any better i need to go i need to be able to go not helpful 
when those thoughts come up and dismiss them. What is going to happen is I'm going to go in the parking garage or I'm get going to get on the plane and I'm going to have a high state of arousal. I'm going to be scared and then I'm going to use techniques to take care of myself. I'm not going to focus on do we have enough air or is the ceiling going to collapse? When we talk about obsessive compulsive disorder, nothing that they think about is relevant. You know, the, uh, with OCD, you know, I was just talking to somebody uh, a couple hours ago around, oh, is my, is my uh, fiancé going to leave me? Uh, you know, lives in a different country and so forth. Doesn't matter about the details about it, but he is all caught up in that fear, but he's got obsessive compulsive disorder. And with OCD, the content is never relevant. It's not about, did I lock the door? Uh, did I run somebody over on the road? Did I leave the faucet running? Uh, is my girlfriend going to leave me? That is just the hook that gets you attached to the disorder and the disorder once again needs you to stay focused on the content. You know, this guy I was talking to, he was saying, so when that pops up, I say to myself, if she leaves you, you can handle it. Okay, well, that's a nice way to respond, but it's wrong because it's a content-based response. Do not talk about, do not answer uh, an obsession based on the content you want to instead of going well if she leaves me you know i'll handle it in that moment you want to go not helpful and you got to let it go so so that's that's the thing around content there are a few concepts for people and if they can grab onto them and run with them they can get stronger pretty quickly on their own. Obviously, it's a continuum, and some people are really greatly disturbed by what they're experiencing, and they're, the, the disorder is very powerful, so in, in no way am I diminishing the severity of some people's symptoms. So you actually, uh, speaking of flying, you actually helped develop the first national program for fearful flyers with American Airlines. Can you tell us about maybe what it was like to head this project? Sure. And, and again, um, part of my work over the years has been in intensive treatment settings and, and also in group treatment settings. So this, again, was that way. We, we worked with 25 people um, in over a two-day crash course. Sorry to use that expression. Um, two-day intense course around overcoming the fear of flying and and American was very supportive of that and wanted to serve their their clientele with that and so you know I was there as a psychologist and teaching them self-help skills and we had uh, a pilot that came and worked with them working on the sounds and the sights and so forth that they experience and answering all their questions and and I had a, a, a one of my clients who recovered from the fear of flying, she also worked with us, with everyone. And, and so we did that for two days. And then we did a graduation, you know, so to speak, a graduation flight um, on day two where we would fly to a 
relatively close near city and and let them practice their skills of course the interesting thing is so we worked in buddies right we'd pair up and we'd have them in their seats and you know like they're going to be on the plane and you know when your buddy's having trouble what what can you say to them to support them and so we had all that worked out and inevitably when we go to take the plane american would never have them sitting sitting together they were spread all over the plane so that totally didn't work out but but it was again very helpful to not only learn all of this but learn all of this knowing that in several hours or the next day i'm going to be flying that really gets people awake around that and you know and you know that it hasn't taken when the client says you know hey doc thanks uh really appreciate all that we've done uh, i learned a lot from you but i i'm not going to take that graduation flight because why why take a flight when you don't need to right so you know you know they're still into don't don't take a flight if you don't need to you're taking a risk unnecessarily you know you certainly want somebody to be going i am terrified of getting on the plane and let's go you better support me while i'm there let's go um and occasionally, when they were really a basket case, we, I got to take them up to first class, and we both got to fly together in first class. So that was a little treat. So, uh, so, but you know, that's, that was that was a, a great experience. So, do do you have any examples of how the techniques that you've spoken about can be applied to daily life outside of the confines of mental illness? Well, you know, I have newest book that I wrote. I, I talk about four tasks to be done and that is step back want it what you and i were talking about step forward and be cunning and you know those are the things that i you know teach across the board and and so you know anytime when i start backing away from any projects whatever it is i can certainly back away from writing projects that you know i'm they can hover over top of my head, but it's much easier to do small tasks like uh, answer emails because, you know, it's you have the, yeah, but it's got a beginning, middle and end and you can check it off. And the bigger things I have to work on take multiple days. And so it's too much activating to get going. And, and so you need to be able to when that is happening, stepping back is to be able to step back and go, OK, wait a minute. You know, I keep feeling this pressure around this task and I'm not getting to it. And, you know, this isn't working. So, you know, get step back and get a perspective. And then want it just means, well, let me get with the program here. This is what's happening. I'm avoiding whatever the issue is. You know, let me just get in the present moment. I, I, I want whatever is happening right now because existentially speaking, it is already happening. And so for me to be resisting what I'm experiencing right now, you know, like, oh, I don't really want to make that call to the, the that guy and tell him that I'm not going to buy his product because he's going to pressure me again, but I have to do it, you know, that kind of procrastination. You know, you got to step back and then you got to go, okay, I want this off my desk. I want this off of my mind and I got to grapple with, you know, that commitment and I want that now. I got to get square away. I don't want to make this phone call and I want to make this phone call, right? There's those two voices again. I absolutely have resistance. 
you know, resistance is everywhere, you know, big surprise. Okay, there's my resistance. I don't want to do this. So I got to get bigger than I got to recognize I got that resistance and then I got to get bigger than that resistance too. What I really hear is is um, you basically saying people need to say, I'm scared and I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, because that's the definition of courage. I'm, I'm scared and I'm going to do it anyway. What would you say to someone who's in the depths of their anxiety or phobic condition and who really who just needs some hope for the future? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, here's what I'll say. And here's what I say all the time to people is we are not at all confused about how to treat these disorders. We are not. We know how to treat these disorders. We have the treatments. Now, the corollary to that is we're not great at figuring out how to motivate you, how to get you to be determined, to get you to be committed, to be for you to be courageous, but we can outline for you exactly what you need to be doing to get better. If you can work with somebody who knows this field, that's you can get stronger and it is out there. We know how to do this. You got to find something that gives you faith and a sense of determination. So speaking of self-help and speaking of finding and lighting that fire, you're now offering an amazing online course called Stop Worrying that gives people a step-by-step guidance system for overcoming their anxiety or their OCD. Would you like to tell us what the course is all about and, and when it will be available? Uh, sure. Well, it is has just become available, so it is available now, and, and I have a website called noiseinyourhead.com, and you can just, you know, look at what it is about. It is really, a, it's a four and a half hour streaming video or DVD set that takes the two-day treatment group that I've been doing for a really long time and synthesizes it down to a very short period of time um, and and teaches the skills that you and I have been talking about. And, you know, if they go on this site, there's actually five free videos right there, each of them at four or five or six minutes each, and we'll teach you some skills and you don't have to pay anything for it. It's, you know, it's a, it's a nice uh, giveaway there, but I think it's, it's, it's going to be a healthy dose of uh, what you need to learn to be working on all these anxiety disorders and OCD. And then you, you can watch as many times as you want. So I'm excited about it. I can't be everywhere. And, you know, this is like step, you know, that first step of, of, of care. Well, thank you, Dr. Wilson, for joining us, for sharing your perspectives and your, your insights. And um, I will link the course uh, down below um, as well as your uh, main website so that people can link up with you and, um, yeah, start getting some help. Well, that's great. Thank you for passing all that information on. And thank you for what you're doing. That's great work. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, you too.